0: The third lesson today comes from Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 38 through 50. Hear the word of the Lord. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, I had the pleasure of participating in a Saukahatchee camp as one of the adult advisors. If you're not familiar with Saukahatchee, it's a week long work camp, and it's turned into a bunch of week long work camps all throughout South Carolina. And the original intent was to get some of these teenagers to start seeing the other side of the tracks, if you want to call it that way, to get them to to realize that not everyone has as nice a house as everyone else. Not everyone has the perfect cookie-cutter family or the perfect cookie-cutter house. And to be able to get them engaged in ministry with these people, engaging in relationships with these homeowners who need to have home repairs done but can't afford it. Well, this Salkahatchee camp that I was working at, it was about 100 degrees every single day that week that I was working. And it was one of those projects where we thought we were going to be repairing the floors in this home. When we went around on the very first day when we were meeting the homeowners and, and taking a look at these houses to see the scope of the work, one of the children from the, that belonged to the homeowner came walking out of his bedroom and fell through the floor. And he was standing waist high, and waist down was under the house. And we saw then that we might have a bigger job than we probably could handle in one week. Well, it turns out that when we started repairing that rotten floor, we tore it out. And it was in a front bedroom on the corner of the house. Well, when we pulled that floor out, the front wall of the house fell in the front yard, and the side wall of the house fell in the side yard. And then we realized that we definitely had a project that was much larger than we could do in one week. All of a sudden, we went from being a group of Christians who were going to be helping other people and doing work to glorify God to being in a situation where God was going to be doing what God does in order to have us try to glorify God in spite of whatever it was that we were going to actually end up doing. But somewhere in the midst of that week, when we were working on this lady's house, I noticed an interesting thing that was happening with the adults who were the advisors for the teenagers. See, without having to even talk to any of these adults, I could look at them and I could see the way that they were responding to the way the other adults were doing their work and figure out exactly what their area of expertise was, even if they weren't working on that particular area. Because if you had somebody who was a plumber by trade watching somebody doing plumbing who maybe could get the job done but didn't really know what they were doing to a professional standard... That plumber, as the week went on and the time became less to get this huge job done, would start making comments that were just a little less than Christian. And the longer the week went, and the less time we had to get the scope of the job finished, the more of these comments I heard. But the interesting thing is, by the end of the week, even if the individual projects were not done exactly the way that someone else would have done who was a professional in that particular area, that house was so much better than it was when we got there that week before. And the lady whose home had been repaired, she was just as happy as she could be that people took time out of their busy schedules to come spend a week working alongside of her, talking with her, getting to know about her, caring about her, developing those relationships, and even helping to rebuild her home. Even though those teens didn't really have a real good handle on what they were doing, many of them had never done any home repairs before. Many of them had never seen any home repairs done before. They were doing a pretty good job with what it was that they were doing. And they didn't argue. They weren't going around to one another and saying, I wouldn't have done that that way. Or, you sure you want to do it that way? Or any of these sorts of things. See, the biggest problem was with those adults who thought that they knew everything who thought that they were an expert in that particular field. You see, they were focused on making sure that the end result was up to their professional standards, that things looked like a professional had done them. And folks, it's not a bad thing to make things look good when you're working on somebody else's house. But those teenagers who had given up a week of their summer vacation to serve God were more concerned about praising God and building a relationship with that homeowner than they were about making sure that plumbing looked like it had been done by a professional plumber. As long as it still worked. They were good with it. And I think what I saw happening that week is exactly what all of us see going on in this gospel reading from Mark today. John came up to Jesus and he started telling him, hey Jesus, there's this guy that's going around town. And he's casting out demons and he's doing it in your name. But he's not following us. He can't possibly be doing things the right way. You see, John had gotten so caught up in making sure that this guy who was going around casting out demons in Jesus' name was doing this exactly the way the disciples had been doing it. And in the midst of all that, he completely missed the fact that this guy was making people's lives better. And not only that, he was sharing Jesus with them. He was sharing with them life and hope and a dignity that they hadn't had in who knows how long. See, John got caught up in the procedure instead of the outcome. John was getting caught up in the minutia and the details instead of staying focused on the big picture of loving people and being faithful to God. And Jesus tells John that even if this guy's not doing things exactly the way we're doing them, leave him alone. He's doing a pretty good job. He's doing what he can do to be faithful. He'll figure it out along the way even if he's not doing things exactly the way that John thinks that they should be done, this man is glorifying God by healing other people. But not just healing other people. There were other people that healed. But he was healing them in Jesus' name. He was giving them something a little different. And then Jesus does what Jesus usually does in these stories. He takes things one step further. And he says that it would be better for someone to have a giant millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little children to sin. Folks, millstones are big. They're really big. They're really heavy. We're not talking about a little pendant on a necklace here. It would be like tying a logger chain hooked to a boulder around your neck and toss you into the sea. You're going to drown pretty quickly. Jesus is being very blunt here. He's telling his disciples that if the people are not against him, even if they're not doing things exactly the way that the disciples are doing them, then they're for them. They're on the same side. Jesus is telling John that in order to build a solid house, you can't have an electrician doing the electrical work and the plumbing and the roofing and everything else, and you can't have a plumber doing everything else other than the plumbing. As it turns out, to build a house that will stand for years and years and years and withstand storms and whatever else may come at it, you have to have different people with different backgrounds and different gifts working together together. For a common goal, Jesus is telling us that in order to build His kingdom the way that it needs to be built, the way that He is calling us to build it, that we have to realize that we don't have to do it all the exact same way. Some of us are plumbers, we'll do a pretty good job handling the plumbing in the kingdom. Some of us are electricians, we'll keep the lights on well. Some of us are supervisors, a lot less are actually supervisors than like to try to be. But to think that we should all be doing exactly the same thing, exactly the same way, to build God's kingdom, it's just not going to work that way. That will not work. See, Jesus recognizes something that's so very basic to this world that we live in that I think a lot of times we as Christians just skip over it, or we ignore it, or, or we don't really give it the time that it deserves. You see, Jesus recognized that there's already enough evil in the world, enough ugliness and hatred in the world. There's enough going on in the world that shouldn't be going on that the last thing that Christians need to be doing is adding more ugly to it. And unfortunately, we end up doing this a lot more than we recognize. We end up doing things that just aren't the way Jesus would like to have us do them. But we convince ourselves that that's what Jesus would have thought. See, the last thing Jesus needs any of us to be doing is to become a stumbling block for someone else trying to be a faithful believer. Yet I look on social media and it turns my stomach to see the way that Christians behave towards one another. They ridicule one another for certain social stances or or certain political leanings or even the way that they carry out their faith. And I'm not just talking about people outside the walls of the church. We all need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. See, something as simple as just sharing a post on Facebook and maybe a little sentence to go along with it, it may seem innocent enough. But if you catch the right person at the right time that sees that, you may very well have just convinced them that God doesn't love them because they don't believe exactly the same way you do. See, something that we say in everyday conversation, it may seem just innocent enough. But if we thought about it for just a couple moments longer before we let it leave our lips, do you think we might recognize the lack of love that's in that statement? Perhaps we end up doing these sorts of things because we believe that we're right. We place a lot of emphasis on being right. After all, we have made a decision to follow Jesus. And that means that what we say must be what Jesus believes. Wait a minute, that can't be right. I think that's where our problems started to come about. Somewhere along the way, we started to believe that if we believe it, then that has got to be what God believes. Somewhere along the way, we got things all turned around and mixed up. We started thinking that Jesus must have been in line with our social and political leanings because we are Christians after all. So how do we get turned back around? How do we get things put back in the right order? How do we get turned back towards Jesus so that we end up following him instead of dragging him wherever we need him to do some work for us? Sometimes businesses, they'll call in consultants. They'll call in experts in whatever particular field that the business works in. And that consultant will offer suggestions, suggestions about how to offer a better product or how to be more efficient, whatever it may be. And they call in this expert, and that consultant spends some time looking at everything, the way the business works, how everything operates, and they'll offer some suggestions. And they'll offer some things that could be tweaked just a little bit or, 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 you know, completely changed. And then that business doesn't have to do what the consultant says. They can say, yeah, we've seen those issues. I think you're right. Or they can just tweak what the consultant says just a little bit and make it work. Or they can completely ignore what the consultant has to say. And that's okay because this is considered a healthy business practice to bring in someone who's an expert in the field into this closed system. And the consultant's removed enough from the situation that he's able to make relevant observations and suggestions That aren't hindered by any history of being connected to this business. It makes me wonder what may happen. If we were to bring Jesus in as a consultant into a lot of the churches in our country. And then it made me start thinking, what might happen if we brought Jesus in to be a consultant in each of our lives? What would Jesus find? What do you think Jesus would say that we're doing pretty well? What do you think Jesus would say that some of our neighbors are doing pretty well, even though they're doing it in a different way and possibly in a way that we aren't real keen on? In what ways are we getting it right? In what ways could we be doing our faith better? Might even Jesus offer us some suggestions? Offer us some changes that we could implement? that we would like to completely ignore. I believe that Jesus would see that many of us are doing a lot of things very well. We're loving God well, we're loving neighbor well. We are doing a pretty good job. We're spending time in scripture, we're spending time here in church regularly. But what would he say about the way that we're building our king building God's kingdom at our work, at our jobs, whatever it is that we do? What would he say about the way that we're building relationships with our coworkers? What sort of critiques might Jesus give regarding the way that we feel about people of other faiths? Or or what might he say about the way that we feel about people of other nationalities? If Jesus were to look through your social media accounts, what might he discover about the way that you feel towards his brothers and sisters? Your brothers and sisters. If Jesus were to take a look in your household, whatever that may end up looking like, the way that you interact with your spouse, your children, whomever it is that you live with, or even your friendships, what possible suggestions might be offered? What do you think he would think about the fact that you may sit countless hours in a room with a loved one and never say a word because you're more focused on the TV or your phone or the job that you left? an hour or two before. Do you think that Jesus might offer some suggestions about the way that we should reprioritize some of our interests or our finances that he's given us and trusted us with? Might Jesus remind you of the importance of saying I love you to your loved ones every chance you get? You see, all of these things are incredibly important. Each and every one of them. They end up Impacting the way that Christianity is perceived throughout the world. And that's a huge deal. If we could do each of these things just a little bit better, even if it requires implementing some things that we really would rather not implement, we might find that we aren't accidentally spreading so much nastiness in Jesus' name. What we may find is that by heeding the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, We may find that it will end up growing our relationship with God. And who knows, it may end up growing our relationships with one another. But there's another thing that it could end up doing. It could end up leading other people into a relationship with Jesus Christ that they had never known. It could cause them to believe that a relationship with God can be more life-giving than life-taking. I think it's time we examine who we are. I think it's time that we examine whose we are. And I think by looking at this passage from Mark's gospel today, it's a good time for us to start examining where the rough spots are in our faith and taking some steps to smooth them out. But here's the good news even if we don't have it perfectly right right now, we're all in here trying to work on it together right now. We're not doing this alone. We're a community of believers, however different we may be. And we love one another. We've committed to following Jesus, and we've committed to building God's kingdom here and now. And that's going to require a bunch of different people with a bunch of different skills and a bunch of different backgrounds. Thank God we're not all the same. Thank God that he created each of you. To be who you are. And to love Him in your way. That's the good news.